Hello, and welcome to the Strategic Finance Lab podcast, home of Noy Group interviews and insights about the future of finance and the office of the CFO. I'm Anthony Michaels, editor of Noy Group Insights. Wall Street, like much of corporate America, has made slow and uneven progress in achieving goals for racial diversity. Data shows that while there has been progress at the firm level, the executive ranks of top banks remain overwhelmingly white. But since the murder of George Floyd in 2020, some corporate debt issuers, including Noy Group members, have made concerted efforts to allocate more of the fees they pay to do deals to so-called diversity firms, those that are owned and run by Black people, Hispanics, women, and members of other minority groups. Yes, diversity firms have been participating in deals for decades, but they've often received relatively small fees compared to big banks while serving as passive co-managers with minimal responsibility. Today, we'll explore what issuers, big banks, and investors are doing, some to a greater degree than others, to give diversity firms more meaningful economics in deals, but also, and more importantly, more meaningful opportunities to play active, leading roles in transactions, deepening and developing their experience as they grow. The good news is that the economics needle is moving in the right direction. Data compiled by Ramirez and Company shows fees paid by the top 20 debt issuers to diversity firms more than quadrupled from 2019 through 2021, rising to $137 million. Over the same period, the average fees paid by this group to diversity firms as a percentage of total fees doubled to 8%. Among the top U.S. corporations that stand out for taking a leading role in supporting DNI firms is Verizon the communications company whose treasury team is led by senior vice president and treasurer Scott Crone, one of three guests joining Noy Group CEO Joseph Noy on this podcast. In 2021, Verizon paid fees to DNI firms on bond deals topping $21 million, the highest dollar amount of 20 top issuers. That $21 million equaled 13% of the total fees Verizon paid for debt deals, according to Ramirez. In addition to more meaningful economics, Verizon is pushing itself and other corporates to give diversity firms more meaningful opportunities. For example, in its $25 billion bond offering last year, all nine DNI firms had an active role and were allocated a combined $487 million in bonds. That's most likely the largest allocation to DNI firms ever in a single bond deal. Also on our panel today is Batanya Aklilu a managing director at Morgan Stanley and head of DNI relationships and initiatives within the fixed income capital markets group at the firm. She'll discuss the role of DNI coordinators, one of the lead managers on a deal whose role is to support and facilitate active participation by diversity firms. Under her leadership, Morgan Stanley has served as DNI coordinator on 31 investment grade bond deals since 2021, the most on Wall Street and more than six times any other bank. Those deals totaled over $127 billion and included that $25 billion Verizon bond offering. And we'll hear the investor perspective on all this from Keenan Choi, Managing Director on the Fixed Income Syndicate Desk at Wellington Management, which manages more than $1 trillion in client assets. Joseph begins the conversation with Keenan, Batanya, and Scott by asking Scott about Verizon's vision. Enjoy the show.
Batanya Keenan and Scott, thanks so much for uh, joining us on the Strategic Finance Lab. We've got a lot of uh, ground to cover, so let's dive right in. Scott, let, let's start with you. There, there's been a a, a lot accomplished, uh, and I think we should uh, we should we should recognize that uh, by by corporate debt issuers and their banks in promoting diversity, equity, and inclusion by giving them more meaningful economics and uh, opportunity. Uh, to diversity firms, but there's still a lot of room to grow and improve, including gaining more universal adoption uh, of what you and Morgan Stanley are doing. Can you elaborate on your vision of uh, uh, of what you're doing and, uh, and and where you see this going, uh, and, and and what you're looking for from from other issuers, large bank underwriters, and investors? Thank you, Joseph, and thank you for bringing together this panel. I think your core audience is, is issuers, but I think we're, we're hoping that uh, the message that we want to share today can be distributed more broadly to the market, because I think as you've identified, there are many participants uh, needed. I think we've referred to it as a four-legged stool with DEI firms, issuers, large banks, and investors. And I also appreciate Anthony's introduction because our mantra and our strategy has been focused in this space on meaningful economics, number one, but also meaningful opportunity. Um, and as Anthony mentioned, as we think about metrics in this space as to how we can judge progress, the deep you know, for the top 20 issuers in the market, the fees paid to DEI firms has gone from 30 million in 19 to over 135 million in 2021. So that is obviously progress. This is, you know, this is great. It's not universal. And I think the way that we can best judge in terms of metrics on it being more universal is what percent of each issuer's individual deal, their overall wallet share is being paid to DEI firms. And as Anthony noted, we're in the double digit space. And I think the market as a whole has definitely pivoted uh, to, to get to the increased fees. But uh, I'd say it's still uh, a small portion of issuers that are paying double digit fees to, to DEI firms. In terms of meaningful opportunity, Joseph, uh, the metrics here are a bit more opaque. Anthony referenced, for example, that uh, we allocated uh, uh, with Batania's help uh, about 2% of our $25 billion deal to DEI firms. And I think for now, that's a good rule of thumb, a good target, if you're able to structure a DEI syndicate that has a voice in the process, uh, ample opportunity to participate, not just after we've given price guidance or it's gone subject, um, from the start of the transaction, there needs to be coordination. In terms of, of how we accomplish that, it, you know, there can be a variety of, of approaches. But the key attribute, I think, uh, is, uh, and Anthony mentioned this in the intro as well, is making DEI firms active. In other words, giving them a chance to sell bonds. There's nothing more frustrating to a DEI firm than having worked with an investor to put in an order and then it doesn't get filled because the, the process either ignored the order or didn't give it appropriate uh, uh, priority. 
and lastly, what I'd say is, you know, when you have a DEI firm as a lead underwriter, which is also an increasing trend, uh, how is it that investors are interacting with the lead underwriter? The market convention is for all investors, large, small, or unique, um, to place their order through the lead underwriter. And uh, when a DEI firm is a lead underwriter, uh, that opportunity to take orders from all investors uh, also uh, enhances their ability to develop relationships and, um, and, and be an equal partner in the process. Scott, that, that's great. I mean, you, you, you ticked off a, a number of really great uh, metrics and KPIs that uh, I, I think others uh, can benchmark themselves against and also pointed to uh, uh, the, 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 the growing role of diversity firms in, in issuance. And maybe that's a, a, a good, good time to turn to Batania. And Batania, you, you have a, an interesting, uh, role to play, uh, at Morgan Stanley as, as DNI coordinator. <laughs> maybe it's worth stepping back and, uh, and asking what exactly is the role of the DNI coordinator, uh, and how has that role evolved on on, on Wall Street uh, uh, recently? And 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 how do you see that going forward? Sure, happy to. Uh, you know, it, again, it's quite clear we've seen an evolution in the way corporate America has partnered with uh, DEI firms uh, on investment grade transactions over the last several years. And as Scott mentioned. The DEI firms have had significantly more opportunities, and it's evident by the number of transactions the firms have participated in. I think the one key change um, really is the DNI syndicate members at the co-manager level moving away from traditionally passive roles to one that is active with respect to distribution. And so to that end, uh, Morgan Stanley really has uh, redefined and, and developed a framework around the role of a DNI coordinator to enhance and elevate the DNI firm's experience. Um, so, you know, at its core, the objective of the DNI coordinator is to set up the diversity firms for success, right? De- providing them a, de- a dedicated uh, resource and coverage throughout the transaction, ensuring thoughtful um, and thorough ownership and accountability of the DNI process um, to be really equitable and, and inclusive. And so a few highlights of what we've done on our own, on our transactions. Um, number one, when we're involved, we proactively offer capital support um, to each DNI firm on the transaction um, to ensure all firms can participate, uh, even if uh, some may not have sufficient capital. Uh, number two, the moment the deal is announced, we are uh, working um, very closely with the firms, providing them with consistent communication as it relates to the book building process. Um, timing, as well as just any relevant and important information that the broader investor community is receiving. And lastly, we have a very thoughtful approach around our allocation process. Again, you know, very important after the firms are um, have been uh, you know working throughout the day and and and, and gathering all of these orders, uh, where we make sure that we take uh, the views of. Uh, the three important stakeholders in this in this uh, process, where we include the DNI firm, um, the issuer, as well uh, as as ourselves as the DNI coordinator, to incorporate all views uh, to get to that final allocation. And you know, I do want to mention with respect to Morgan Stanley and our DNI involvement on our own debt transactions. 
um, you know, we also have evolved and expanded the way in which we work with uh, our DNI partners, uh, especially since we uh, added a core value commit to diversity and inclusion back in 2020. We have first and foremost increased the number of firms we work with on our syndicate structure. Um, we have uh, routinely worked with upwards of 15 firms on our transactions. Um, we have increased uh, the fees meaningfully as well uh, and, and really have a, decided to go with a tiered approach where we focus on and um, are thoughtful of differentiated economics and differentiated roles. I think recognizing the longstanding relationships we've, we've had with the DEI firms, in addition to engaging new firms and, and creating new opportunities um, for the new firms entering the space. And, and lastly, I'll just note that uh, one of the new roles we created in our syndicate structure um, serves as a mentorship opportunity as we look to work alongside the DNI from our treasury team and our syndicate team uh, throughout the entire process. So, um, you know, a very uh, a great way to to really kind of bring the firms behind the scenes and, and show them exactly how we we run our deals. No, Tanya, that's that's great. Uh, a great explanation of all elements of the of the coordinator role and. Really love uh, how uh, uh, Verizon's leading the way on the on the corporate issuance side, and, uh, and it sounds like Morgan Stanley really doing the same on the on the bank issuance side, which is fantastic. Uh, maybe, maybe this is a good time to bring in Keenan and the institutional investor role in this. Uh, how, how do you view you know, your role in engaging with uh, diversity f- firms? In, in new bond issuance deals, and 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 how does that fit into uh, you know what Wellington is doing to promote and support uh, DNI firms uh, in, in the in the longer term, and you know building off of uh, uh, of Tanya's uh, comment on the different roles and opportunities that they have as as lead active or passive uh, 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 managers in the process. Uh, maybe comment on, uh, on on how you see that going as well from a from an institutional investor perspective. Sure thing, Joseph. And, you know, again, thanks for the opportunity to share our views. You know, I think to complete the trifecta here, I think a lot of uh, sentiments I share are echoed by uh, Scott and Batania. But, you know, we're, we're equally uh, supportive of the growing role that diversity firms are playing uh, in the new issue market. And uh, it's not lost on me, this uh, growing trend that we're encouraged uh, to see happening where more of these firms are being uh, migrating away from, you know, more passive-like roles into more active capacities. Um, I think that's important because um, ultimately it gives them more hands-on experience in terms of running transactions. And, um, you know, with, with more at-bats, we get to see a lot of these firms handling, managing deals, you know, in working on them. And it just gives us more confidence overall. You know, and that confidence is important as, uh, you know, we think about uh, we're very deliberate um, in terms of who we, um, you know, want to work with, who we want to share our intellectual capital with in terms of greater dialogue, discussion of, of our thoughts, and uh, also in terms of um, confidence in sharing our clients' uh, economic capital um, in the form of reverse inquiries, which are you know, really um, a way of providing a dealer an opportunity to relay our interest in certain names to potentially encourage them to come to market. And I think that uh, is helpful for diversity firms to get business. And if uh, they're getting more business leads to uh, more opportunities and, you know, more 
opportunities for them as a result of that to, um, you know, invest in the uh, communities uh, that they champion. I think that's uh, ultimately a win uh, for, for us and in, in is serving, um, you know, serving a, a, a bigger, serving a per- bigger purpose, uh, which I think we're all very uh, supportive of. No, Keenan, that's great. I mean, it, it, it really touches on this uh, meaningful opportunity uh, piece of it and, and, and the range of opportunities that, uh, that, that uh, all, all three of you are, are contributing to, to uh, expanding, which is, which is fantastic. Uh, Scott, let, let me come back to you because Batanya mentioned uh, uh, the, the, the capital piece of this. And we know, or you know probably better than most, that there, there, there can be some pushback um, from banks uh, that are participating in, uh, in, in bank groups, uh, credit facilities. And as someone who manages a, a sizable bank group, you probably know this better than most. Uh, about paying out DNI firms and 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 banks may not always appreciate uh, uh, providing a revolver commitment, uh, which which is typically a loss leader, and then seeing fees paid out to DNI firms that aren't providing the the, the same capital commitments to the companies. How, how has Verizon dealt with this? And any other advice? Any advice for other companies that uh, that that face such uh, pushback? Well, I, th- I think you're right, Joseph. Uh, each company's situation is going to have a different dynamic um, as they execute toward uh, meaningful economics uh, for their DEI partners. Uh, it's based on what, you know, the returns the banks are generating off the relationship. But with that said, the progress we've seen from 2019 to 2021 um, has largely been accomplished without DEI firms participating in bank facilities. Uh, with that said, however, um, some of the leading DEI firms have partnered uh, largely with um, uh, larger depositories that don't have huge capital markets presence. And this has allowed uh, certain and some of the, the higher growing DEI firms to actually be a part of a bank facility. So that trade-off that you're talking about becomes less of an issue. Hmm. Um, The other comment that I'd make, Joseph, that uh, I think is uh, uh, relevant to your discussion on on the bank group is, um, you know, as as issuers look at their bank groups, they're making trade-offs all the time with regard to uh, who's bringing ideas, who's supporting the issuer. And economics are differentiated uh, as a result of that support, uh, even amongst uh, a given lending tier uh, within a revolver. And I think Batania commented on this earlier, and I'd like to see more issuers do the same, which is, uh, and we call it investing for growth. And so I, I think so, you know some of the, the DEI firms that are growing in their distribution and engaging with Keenan, for example, at the top of the allocations that Batania is shepherding as the D- DNI coordinator, they find it very frustrating when the economics are just peanut buttered uh, evenly uh, amongst the DEI group. So when you think about the, the bank facility question, uh, I think there are some analogies to the DEI space and the ability to invest for growth. So it sounds like there's a there's a little bit of a give to get there uh, that the that both sides are are winning. 
But Tanya, maybe maybe you can comment uh, a, a bit more on that in terms of you know how you see the the benefits uh, of, of deepening the involvement of diversity firm in in the process. And you know, I guess one of the areas that, that comes to mind is that uh, they they serve investors that that might not otherwise have access to to new issues. So uh, you know, there's a benefit there, but. Um, Maybe maybe you can comment uh, on, on what you're seeing as uh, as uh, from from your vantage point and and how you as a DNI coordinator can do different things to facilitate uh, this gift to get. Absolutely, participating in the full life cycle of the bond, not only in the secondary trading, but equally as important, the new issue syndication process is is really beneficial and, and essential as diversity firms continue to grow and invest in their franchise. You know, primarily it enables firms to continue and build out their investor engagement and coverage. And notably, diversity firms have relationships that are unique and, and differentiated beyond um, the large, well-covered institutions, um, you know, like, like Keenan. Um, and, and importantly, I think the you know, the importance of the DNI coordinator role really comes into play here because, um, you know, these typically smaller, lesser known investors are given proper consideration during the allocation process, right? Instead of what would historically happen where a lack of time or resources um, to evaluate the accounts could result in minimal allocations. And lastly, I'll touch on just the allocation process and, and our approach. I think, you know, we've we've taken the view that determining a set amount of, of the DNI group's kind of allocation ahead of time isn't, isn't really as beneficial. I think um, in times where you're setting that number too low, uh, you can, you know, kind of disincentivize or, or limit uh, the potential of the DNI firms in reaching out and engaging as many investors as they, as they typically would. And then setting it too high could create more of a focus on just the, um, the quantity of orders as opposed to the quality of orders. So again, from our perspective, having worked with uh, most of the diversity firms on many occasions, we've really built the trust with the community and have developed an approach where, you know, we have really do take a, a careful approach and, and management of their order books and um, that results in meaningful allocations for the firms and, and their investors. No, that's great. I mean, I, I love how you touched on the, uh, the allocation process there and the uh... And, and and a lot of that, you know, as they gain experience, will 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 probably uh, lead to even even more meaningful opportunity as uh, as, as we touch on that uh, that buzzword. Keenan, maybe uh, we bring you into this. I mean, what what value do you see DNI firms providing uh, to, to fixed income investors in the in the in, in the corporate investments grade space in in particular? Um, and uh, is there is there anything more you'd like to see from them, and and maybe you know what more from from your perspective could a, a underwriter like Morgan Stanley or Morgan Stanley or an issuer like uh, Verizon do do to help address the, the these sorts of issues? Yeah, sure thing. You know, but Tanya just touched on it actually uh, in terms of uh, the the their clients, diversity firms, and the clients that they serve. And I guess you know when I think about one of uh, the the sort of constant challenges that asset managers face, uh, especially large ones, is, you know, the hunt for liquidity. And so when you think about that and you think about potentially, you know, the inclusion of more DEI firms to the extent that they're serving similarly underrepresented investors out there, 
or ones that aren't getting the, the kind of, uh, you know, attention that more mainstream investors get. Uh, that's, you know, a, a newer pool of liquidity right there that uh, would be, you know, incremental to the market. And I think just tying back to something I said earlier, I think that's why it's important that we see more DEI firms um, acting in an active capacity because it gives them more of, uh, you know, it gives them a seat at the table. And as a result, if that uh, has um, has the impact of being able to give, you know, have a say in the allocations and directing some more of that flow to some of these investors, which helps them build their businesses and then allows them to, you know, attract more other, you know, newer investors to our market, then, then I think, again, that's sort of like a virtuous cycle of, uh, you know, adding more incremental, you know, liquidity uh, to the market, which is helpful for everyone. Um, but, you know, I would say that, you know, ideally we'd like that to happen and um, it would be great to see, you know, some of the allocations go in that way. But, you know, I don't think that's a substitute for the fact that, you know, a DEI firm uh, acting in, a, in an active capacity has to execute well, right? Um um, they need to basically perform at the same sort of, you know, level and standard as larger managers running deals because we're relying on, you know, these deals to be, be run uh, properly. And, uh, you know, to that end, I guess, you know, listening to Scott and listening to Batania, it's, uh, it's, it's a comfort knowing that, you know, companies like theirs are doing this, you know, diligence ahead of time right? We're, we're consumers at the end of the day, right? We basically um, have new issues presented to us and we ultimately work with uh, the dealers that, um, you know, firms like Verizon and Morgan Stanley choose for us to work with. And um, going back to Scott's earlier analogy to, you know, legs of a stool, uh, what, we, what we do there is uh, we, you know, make sure that we work um, with the active book runners, um, regardless of whether they're a diversity firm or not, we work with them equally. And um, again, gives them more of an opportunity to work with us, get to know us, hands-on experience uh, running deals. And, um, you know, as a result, I think that um, hopefully improves outcomes for, for all of us in the future. Now that's great, Keenan. I, you know, I just thinking, uh, you know, liquidity, <laughs> added liquidity and more diversification, uh, you know, tend to be positives for, for uh, financial markets and, and investing. So uh, that that ties together really well. Maybe we go to our, our final question and uh, uh, sort of a lightning round uh, and, uh, and I'll ask for a, a, a short a short answer from each of you. Uh, but let's look at some of the things that uh, we've been talking about and, and say we're, we're having the same conversation in, in, in five years. What do you think will be different uh, than today? And how can the momentum that started uh, over these last several years be maintained? But Tanya, maybe we'll, we'll start with you uh, with, that, with that one. Sure. You know, again, I think we've seen tremendous progress since 2020. And it's clear the innovation of the DNI coordinator rule has, has contributed to that progress. And, you know, my hope that it's a durable concept and uh, continues to evolve, becoming a part of the, the fabric of, of DNI or syndicate discussions, and you know the the you know the Verizons and um, other corporates that have really embraced this role. Um, we continue to see kind of broad utilization uh, across across the market. 
And ultimately, again, just assisting issuers successfully executing on their DNI strategy and and supporting their DNI partners. Great, Keenan. Any any thoughts from you? Sure. I don't know about five years. I don't necessarily have a timeline per se, but I guess how I would know progress is occurring. I guess is when we see these uh, diversity firms in active roles on deals and don't look at them or don't look at it as any sort of exceptional or special situation that they're that they're involved. Uh, you know, to me that would imply that you know these firms are competing um, at the same level for business as other firms, and um, that I think is what we basically want to you know move the ball uh, down the field towards. I think over time, inevitably, we're going to have, you know, more data, you know, these firms are going to have more at bats, and we're going to be able to sort of see over time, whether or not this, um, you know, this uh, vision of incremental liquidity actually is realized. Um, and I think that would just sort of support the work that all of us are, are doing now. Um, I think what would be helpful for us would be to sort of see a little bit uh, about where they're having impact, um, have a better sense of what the allocations, you know, where, where they're going on these deals. So we know ultimately if we're working with these firms, they're being included in these firms. Like I said before, that um, bonds are finding their way into the hands of, uh, you know, new investors out there. Um, I think that would uh, sort of give us a little bit more confidence to know that, that things are heading in the right direction. Scott, as a as a Noy Group member, I'm going to give you the the final word here on where we where we're going to what what this is going to look like uh, in in five years. Yeah, um, so maybe it's the last word on this panel, Joseph. But I I, I do like to think that although tremendous progress has been made, uh, there is more work to do, and I think. Um, uh, a lot of the opportunities we've identified uh, today. Um, but as I think about five years from now, uh, it would be nice to see uh, many more issuers at sort of the 10% or above wallet share. Um, it would be very nice to see 2% of allocation going to DEI firms just being a starting point and a much higher allocation uh, going forward and hopefully earned, as Keenan mentioned, with um, uh, the trading uh, that these firms are doing and the liquidity that they're providing being additive uh, to the market. Um, I'd also like to see that um, in Batania's role, they're not just looking for unique orders, that investors more broadly, um, because of the earned trust and counsel and liquidity that they're providing, um, are you know they're garnering orders from the the market more generally, um, and then uh, a, a couple of last thoughts would be we've talked a lot of, uh, a lot about metrics on this call, uh, but you know it's almost proprietary. Uh, you know the data from Ramirez, the information we're sharing about allocations, you know Keenan's reference to liquidity and trading volumes, that it would be really nice to have much more market transparency um, uh, in this area because I think a lot of the data does exist. Uh, you're just not going to see it very often in pitch books. Um, um, and so uh, from an issuer perspective, I think we'd like to see that uh, uh, more broadly. And then lastly, 
Um, I just hope that uh, the focus and the improvement that we've seen will contribute to additional diversity on the street and in bond markets. Now, Scott, that's great. And, I, and I'm glad you called out uh, additional metrics and touched on Keenan's point about uh, the importance of data here. Uh, uh, and I, I, that, that's something Noy Group would, would, would love to help uh, uh, encourage data providers and, uh, and, and other issuers to, uh, to, to back that. So, Batanya, Keenan, Scott, I, I really uh, thank you so much for your, your time and more importantly, your, your commitment to, to this uh, important issue. And it's really been great, great talking with you all. And, uh, you know, let, let's not wait five years to, to resume the conversation uh, uh, on, on this important issue. It's, uh, there's important progress happening. And, uh, uh, and I think, uh, uh, dialogue can do nothing more than uh, than help uh, help help bring that for even further along. So, uh, thanks again, uh, and look forward to uh, our, our next conversation. Thank you, Joseph. Thank you, Joseph. Thank you. Thanks, Joseph. Thanks, everybody. That's this week's Strategic Finance Lab podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Please join us next time for more insights about the future of finance and the office of the CFO. I'm Anthony Michaels, editor of Neugroup Insights.